What a great week that we've had this week. I want to talk about a bunch of different things today, if you'll uh, give me that freedom. Um, and then I want to end speaking about biblical uh, authority. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, just to stop everything that we're doing to pray. Stopping everything. To do, and I think maybe we should do that in our lives sometimes, too. You know, stop all the commitments, all the craziness, and just take maybe a day or two and just pray. God, what, you know, in my life, where am I at? Where am I going? What am I doing? And so that's what we did. And we, we kind of just lay this church and, and our, our all before the throne of God. And, I, and I'm not even sure how many years we've done this, but it's quite a few uh, years that we've done it. And, and uh, what, what stood out to me at the end of all this was that, that we need to keep on, that we need to stay the course, that God has given us uh, some incredible people, and God has given us some incredible vision and some incredible direction. And so we need to follow that. God has given to us these things. So Monday night, just give a, a recap of those that were here and those that weren't here. And I think we had probably over 100 people all together that came. And, um, and some people came, you know, one time. Some people came more than one time. Some people came almost the whole time. And there was a few people, and they get, you know, extra bonus points for coming every night, because we are on the uh, bonus system here. So I'm not going to respond to any of your comments. <clears throat> so Monday night, we began here in the sanctuary. We were talking about worship and how important that is to us from the very beginning, praying for our worship, that our hearts would be open to participate. That was the, one of the key words that came out to me, participate. Be a part of worship. It's not just a musical concert. It's not just a musical prelude. It's something we can participate in. And then the Word of God, that's, you know, that's so, so important that it be faithfully proclaimed and taught. And, and again, we'll finish with thinking about that at the end. Fellowship, where we spend time together. And uh, I, I love it when uh, I'm the last one here and, and I have to kind of chase people out because they're just spending time together. And they may be talking about football or something stupid, but, you know, the fact is they're spending time together. And fellowship is important. It's where we kind of, you know, build our lives together in the body of Christ. And then we talked about prayer, and we, we prayed for all these things, too, where we, we pray during the service, we pray before the service, we pray after the service. And my heart has always been for... You know, after the service, if you've heard something that maybe God is speaking to your heart or maybe you brought in a heavy heart and you want some prayer, you just come and there's people here to pray for you. And we're not going to push you over. We're not going to do anything crazy. But maybe God will work in your heart. Maybe God will push you over inside your heart. You know what I'm saying? But be willing to, to say, hey, I, I, want, I want, you know, I have a need. I, I, through the years, I've seen people who come, you know, and, and they just come over and over on a, on, a, on a Sunday for prayer. But I've seen the fruit of that, where God has honored that. And then, and then maybe they don't need to come as much every Sunday. But, and God has brought that maturity and that growth in their, their lives and, and answered the prayer. So that's Monday night. Tuesday night, we moved to the Sunday school. And we prayed for God's help with uh, this most serious responsibility. Most serious responsibility. It was... You know, I was amazed uh, when I found out there were over 50 people that were involved, currently involved, in, in Sunday school and ministry. And, uh, you know, this vision to, the, to reach kids and our kids 
They're not someone else's kids. They're our kids. And to prepare them, to equip them. I'm reading a book right now that is uh, very, very challenging. It's called Already Gone. And uh, I, I've ordered copies for all of our Sunday school people, uh, starting with the teachers and then, you know, sharing it around. And, and it's basically about how we need to prepare our kids to face the onslaught of the, what this world has coming at them. And, and to prepare, and we all need to prepare. It's not just the, the teachers, but anybody who teaches need to, need to be able to teach uh, uh, believers how to stand up for their faith and then to live for their faith. To, his, his two main points are to defend it and to live it. And so, you know, our Sunday school, and the, the point of this book is that, that we're losing a bunch of them starting in, in elementary school. They're starting to check out already. They're there. And then, you know, in middle school and high school, they're actually still there, but his point is that they're already gone because, because the, you know, to them it's not real. To them it's not, uh, you know, they, they don't have it for themselves. And so it's a huge responsibility. It's very serious, and, and uh, we, we, we pray for that. Wednesday night we met in our meeting room <clears throat> downstairs. We talked about small groups. We prayed and focused on small groups where people can grow in understanding the word and in relationships. And we have opportunities. You know, somebody said this, uh, you know, that we kind of have a, a, the whole package. We have opportunities for people on Sunday. We have opportunities for small groups, and, and we each of us have an opportunity for our own personal devotion with Christ. And these three things kind of work together. When we have a group of people in, in relation to small groups where we get to know them and they get to know us and we can ask questions, we study the Word together, I want to encourage you if, you're, if you have never been in a small group to try one out, be in one. Maybe some of these shorter term ones that Bob uh, does, you know, you can get involved in, in one of those and we have others that, that go continuously. Maybe, maybe you want to have, open your home and say, hey, I'd like to have, open my home for 10 weeks to have a Bible study. Can I, can I open my home? And, and we'll send somebody there. I don't know who yet, but we'll figure it out. We'll send someone there to teach a Bible study in your home for 10 weeks. Is that, an, is that a good idea? You know, we want to be practical. Again, we ask and we seek God's face, but then we knock on doors. Like, what are we going to do with all this? It's just not a bunch of information and, and all that. So <clears throat> small groups are very important. Uh, Thursday night, we went to the youth group room, and we, play, we prayed for our youth group and, and also for our, our women's ministry. These are both extremely important, and uh, it amazes me that, um, you know, our teens and our women, you know, can be together in the same building on the same night. I, I don't know how they do it. I'm, I'm afraid to come here on a Thursday night to see how that works out, but I hear it works out very well. Is that true? And And... But, but you, you have this group, you know, they're both kind of, they have they're both their own needs and their own uh, issues. And, and, you know, we have people that are faithfully being there, teaching God's word, supporting one another. And we also were challenged, at least I was, that uh, what about men's, what about our men's ministry that we do not have? Who's going who's gonna to get that going? Do we have someone who has a heart for that maybe to, to say, listen, maybe I can organize something. Maybe I can help to get it going, and, and uh, that's the kind of help we need. Friday, we talked our last night in the fellowship hall, and we and some of you have never been downstairs. We have a huge hall down there, about the same size as this, 
sanctuary, and we talked about fellowship, some of the things we've done there, and, and, uh, and also using it for outreach, to use all that we have for all that God desires. That's my goal. That's our heart's desire. We, have, we, we talked about missions and, and going out to all the world. We talked about festivals outside on the, on the meadow, the green meadow that God has given to us. And we also prayed for our young adults study and, and what a blessing it is that Friday nights they get together and to see the next generation serious about learning and growing and wanting to, to get in, get in now and not wait to see. So in all these things, I look forward to seeing God's hand answering these prayers. We got together and we stopped everything. We prayed. But now God is going to answer, I believe. And so I look forward to seeing how he's going to put all these things, you know, in motion and, and how he's going to bless the things that we already have in motion and, and how he's going to hear our prayers in the next weeks and the next months. Now we begin to knock on the doors, like I say. One question is this, and it, you know, it reminds me of Bob's uh, last study on Calvary Chapel, Green Meadow, and me, is where do you fit in with all this? The last thing he had on his little uh, thing was, what's to do and what's ahead and why are you here? How do you fit in to CCG? How do you fit in? What is your place and part in it? I believe every person has a place and a part. Maybe it's not in a Sunday school. But maybe it's some practical issue that you like to paint or you like to build things. Maybe, you know, when we do outreaches, you like to make cotton candy. Whatever it is, each of us can do something and be a part. And I want to say that God blesses your life when you step up and get involved in something. It makes you, makes you take ownership. It makes you feel like this place is yours. You're not just an, uh, a visitor. History, a little history. <clears throat> I'm kind of jumping all around a little bit, but that's okay, right? 20 years. We left California in September of 1988. And so, by my um, mathematical skills, we spent about a year in Connecticut. And so, we moved out here in the latter part of uh, 1988. We spent about a year in Connecticut after the first year. That was the second year. So, in my sort of um, understanding of it, we've, we've been ministering here in the state of Rhode Island for about 20 years. That's a long time. 20 years. We don't have an exact date that we can say, well, let's have a celebration. I don't think I'd want to do that anyways, really just because, you know, my, my feeling is, is, you know, 20 years is great, but what about the next 20 years? What are we going to do for the next 20 years? And, and in, in the part of this, uh, you know, the, the heart for raising up the younger generation, who, who's going to be, you know, raised up to, you know, because 20 years I'll be like 45, um, you know, I'll be getting kind of tired by then. Right? And uh, so, so we're going to need somebody to help out. Interesting to think, though, you know, 20 years we've been around, it's, it, you don't really think about it as the time is going by. But, you know, we're not the new kid on the block anymore. I don't think. For a long time, we were like the outsiders. And we had, you know, we met in the school, and we're not a real church, and and all the rest of it, but we've been around 20 years. We're not, we're, you know, this church has lasted 
This church is real. This church is a part of the body of Christ. It's not going away tomorrow. You know, early, early on, I remember, you know, we're sitting there and I'm wondering, you know, I don't know if anybody's going to show up this week. And, uh, you know, if they don't, I'll just go home and, you know. And then, and then, you know, a few people would show up and I'd say, okay, well, I'll stay this week and I'll, I'll do it another week, you know. But that's like for 20 years, you know. And, and uh, I think I've only missed one Sunday um, unless I was away somewhere, which was recently when I had that bout of vertigo. That was really weird. I've only missed one Sunday unless I was away traveling somewhere in those 20 years. And God is, that's a, a testimony to God's strength. But you know, the, the point is, is that we show up. We've been faithful and that's what God has called us to do. And, and, and whatever part that you play in, God has called you just to be faithful and show up and see what he will do. I realized as we spent this time praying, uh, if you'll turn with me to Acts 2.42, Acts 2.42, I, I want to not, <clears throat> I have some stuff I'm going to look at at the end in the scripture, but this, this is one of our key verses that be from day one to 20 years later now. In Acts 2.42, it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. These things are, are from day one. We, we focused on these things. We've been devoted to God's word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And you can call the breaking of bread potlucks. And you see we're still having them. And, and so, you know, there's... I, I read uh, Ecclesiastes recently. There's nothing new under the sun. If somebody comes along and says, you know... And I talked about this a little bit and, and, and made some clarification about some of these things. Somebody comes along and says, you know, we've got this brand new thing that, you know, a new, new, new way of doing things. Well, if it's not based in the word, it's weird and, and it's not going to last anyways. If, you know, if we're going to get you all barking or laughing or doing some weird stuff, you know, how many churches are still barking? Unless they have a bad cold or something. You know, how many churches are still rolling in the aisles laughing? Those are just the two examples of things that have come through the years. I've, you've seen it, you know, time and time again. But, but teaching God's word is the foundation. And from there, you know, fellowship and prayer, these are all important. We've got to keep doing what we've been doing. We got to keep on keeping on. We got to, we got to do these things. I want you to turn with me now to Zechariah chapter eleven. Zechariah chapter eleven. I heard somebody say the other day, a few weeks ago, I guess it was, that <clears throat> you know, in our bulletins and in different places, you see those those that saying, "Care for the lost, seek the young." You, you any have you ever seen that? Some people have never even seen it on there before. Oh, like oh, I just saw that. Like what is that? We've been talking about that for a long, long time. I don't know how long it is. And, and it pretty much sums up so many different things. But, you know, people say, well, where does that come from? And I want you to see where it comes from. And you're going to maybe a little bit surprised kind of how it, how it comes out of this passage. But look at Zechariah chapter 11 and verses uh, 15 and 16. 
says there, Then the Lord said to me, Take again the equipment of a foolish shepherd. For I am going to raise up a shepherd over the land who will not care for the lost or seek the young or heal the injured or feed the healthy, but will eat the meat of the choice sheep tearing off the hoofs. Woe to the worthless shepherd who deserts the flock. See there, he's talking about somebody who's worthless, somebody who's foolish, and the wrong way of doing things. So I read that years and years and years ago, and I said, well, then the right way must be to do these things, to care for lost people, to have a heart to care. That's a start. To seek after the young and, and, and to minister, and, and as I've already said, to equip the young people. Go after them, the next generation, the future. Don't just be happy with what we have, but what about the next generation? To heal the injured, and, and you know, we're all, we're all pretty much injured, right? We're all pretty much beat up. We're all, we're all dysfunctional in one way or another. Don't try to kid yourself. We need healing. And then he says there to feed the healthy, you know. If we are healthy and we're maybe we're in a great place right now, well, you, you know, if you don't keep feeding, you're not going to stay healthy. If you don't keep eating good, you're not going to stay healthy, right? So for those of us, you know, maybe you're in a good place right now, you need to keep feeding on God's word and fellowship and prayer and, and these things that are important. God wants to do these things. God wants to use us to reach out to the lost people around, all around us. And not just here, but throughout the world in, in different ways when we go on missions trips, when we support missionaries in different places, to care for lost people. They are all around us, you know. They're all around us. I remember, I still remember how lost I felt when, before I came to Christ. I was lost. I was looking for to find the answer, the truth. And I found it in Jesus Christ. But someone told me about him. There's people all around you at work, in your schools, in your neighborhoods that are lost. They are lost. Do we care? That's where it starts. Seek the young. Heal the injured. Feed the healthy. These are important. You can apply these to every area of our ministry, the Sunday school, the women's ministry, the young adult ministry, the youth group, um, sewing sisters, um, drug and alcohol ministry to come, marriage ministry, men's ministry. You can apply these to all, you see. Care for the lost, seek the young, heal the injured, feed the healthy. The last thing I want to talk about this morning for the last few minutes is the, is the Word of God. Because <clears throat> I think it all kind of comes back to this. This is probably the most important of the Calvary Chapel distinctives. There's a book called Calvary Chapel Distinctives. I don't know if it's chapter one. It's been a while since I read it. But I believe it's the most important of our distinctives that, that this book that we focus on, that we study it, that we read it, that we believe it. Why? Not just... Because it's a nice book. Not because it has nice sayings, because it has some beautiful poetry in it. But because it's the Word of God. You see, this is what I was talking about earlier in relation to our kids and us. That this is God's Word. 
This is the word of God. We need to understand that. We need to be able to defend that. We need to know why we say that. We won't answer all the questions right here, right now, in these few minutes that I have. But, but this is God's word. This is not just a human book, people. This is not just written by man. This is, this is one of the biggest attacks in recent years. The authority of this book. The veracity, the truthfulness of this book. The, the fact is, does it all stand? Or can we just take it and cut out the pieces that we want, the pieces we like, and, and make it fit what we like? Or is it God's word from beginning to end, from Genesis 1 to Revelation? Now, this is not a new attack, but recently in the church it's been, been big, and we see it in lots of different areas and in the mainline denominations where they're, you know, they're waffling on all these different issues. Why? Because they don't believe what God's word says is true. Or they kind of redefine what, what it says in black and white. I'm not talking about maybe some, you know, some secondary or, or third-line issues that maybe we can have some, some grace and room, but there's some things that are just black and white. Marriage from Genesis. God designed, created marriage for what? A man and a woman. That's black and white. Well... nothing new you go back to genesis chapter 3 and what does what does satan say to eve did god really say begins to attack god's word from from very beginning beginning of the fall and it's continued since then let me say a quote about this and uh from from this book i mentioned uh already gone <clears throat> he says but in this day and age this is ken ham by the way he writes the book and he is the <clears throat> he is the uh the founder and whatever of uh, Answers in Genesis. You've probably heard him on the radio. He's the one who opened the Creation Museum um, uh, somewhere. I, I'm not sure. Where is it? Kentucky. Where? Kentucky. Kentucky. And they have had, I don't know how many million people have already gone through this Creation Museum. But he says this, But in this day and age we must see that an attack on the Word of God is an attack on the Gospel. Without the word of God, we have no gospel. Without the word of God, we have no morality. Without the word of God, we have no record of our past and no prophecy for our future. Without the word of God, Christianity cannot stand. Without this book, if we just let it happen the way it is, the most serious problem with, that I have with the emergent church, and I, you know, I talk about this, study it for yourself, is, is how they're waffling on this book. They're waffling, changing, twisting. Well, I don't know if it really says that. I don't know if it really meant that. I don't know if it really, and, and it goes on and on and on. This is part of a spiritual battle, folks, and the stakes are very, very high as as Ken Ham said, from Genesis 1 to the end of Revelation, Genesis 1.1 says in the beginning what? God created the heavens and the earth. Now, has that been attacked in our society or what? You know, uh, the percentage of people who say, well, you know, evolution is probably the way. And then, then you have people who say, well, you know, uh, 
if they don't believe in God, it's just evolution. And, and evolution, you know, when you begin to look at it and study it and think about it, it takes as much faith, I believe, to believe in evolution as it does not to believe in God and His Word. But then they say, well, God used evolution. Well, it never says God used evolution. It says God created the heavens and the earth. And then at the very end of the book in Revelation chapter 22, the last chapter, it says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds anything to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes words away from this book of prophecy, speaking about the book of Revelation, God will take away from him his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, what's are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. The very last verses of the book are to protect the word of God. Of course, he's speaking specifically there about the book of Revelation, but, but you find verses like these throughout. Don't add to it. Don't take away from it. This is the book that God has given to man. Now, I'm not going to talk about different translations, and, and some are the most inspired translations. I think, you know, you can take uh, you know, all the translations and you can find the gospel and the truth in most of them. Even, don't misunderstand me, even... In the Watchtower translation, right? Jehovah's Witnesses have their own, right? It's kind of green cover. You can find the gospel in there, too. They didn't, they didn't mess it up enough. They twisted it, but they didn't mess it up enough. They tried. I don't recommend that version. I want you to know that. And some of you are, like, hiding your little green Bibles under your shirt right now. God's Word. God's Word. But I, you know, I like the NIV. It's easy for me to understand. Uh, a lot of Calvary chapels use the, use the New King James Version. I like that too. Um, some of them use the Old King James Version. Some use New American Standard. Some use, uh, you know, the, what's the newest one? Uh, the, the New Living Translation. Um, <clears throat> you know what? Get into the Word. If you can't understand King James... Well, then open up a different version, but get into the Word. That's the point. That's the point of it. God's Word's been attacked with evolution, with mythologizing, minimizing, writing it off. I've mentioned this before. Thomas Jefferson, you know, he, he took uh, the New Testament and he kind of sliced out huge, huge portions of it because he didn't believe that God could do anything miraculous. Jesus couldn't do any miracles, anything else. It was because he, he was basically getting back to the humanistic thing that humans, what humans can do. He cut all this stuff out. And then this is the Bible. Not a good idea. Not a good idea. Ultimately, though, God triumphs. I want to say, I want to say this with clarity, that ultimately God triumphs. And, and it says in Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, Your word, O Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. In Matthew 24, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will what? Never pass away. God's word is going to stand firm. And, and, and you know whether we defend it or not, it doesn't matter. Because it's going to stand, it will stand, it, 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 it has to stand because it's God's word, it's not our word. 
I want you to turn with me to some verses. <clears throat> First of all, 2 Peter chapter 1. I still have some time left here. 2 Peter chapter 1, I want you to know where these verses are. And people say, well, you know, it's just a man's book. It's just a book of people wrote. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. It says there, And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. It wasn't just them writing a nice, beautiful little book or story or letter or, you know, proverb or psalm or whatever. They were led by the Holy Spirit. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. They spoke from God. Peter's saying this here. This is God's word. This is God's word. I'm not going to talk this morning about, you know, how we got our Bible, but you can do that whole study and say, well, well, how do we know? I do want to say this one thing is that when they, when they were getting together to, to decide which books, because there were a lot of books, a lot of books, big study, you can spend a lot of time studying this, but there were a lot of books, so which ones were a part of the Scripture? Basically, what they did is they didn't decide which ones they thought should be, they looked at it and said, which ones have the authority and the power of God? And they, all they did was acknowledge the books that were inspired. They looked at them and they said, you know, there's no question, this book is inspired. They, you know, they, they, they were able to see. And I think, I think it bears out through the years that these are the inspired books. Not Tobit or Esdras or... You know, the third book of who knows. Some of those might have some historical value in them, but they did not have, they did not have the authority of Scripture. How about 2 Timothy? 2 Timothy. Chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. See if I can find it here. Second Timothy chapter three. So we have we have Second Peter chapter one speaking about it. Now we have Paul the apostle speaking in Second Timothy chapter three. Look at verse fourteen. He's speaking to Timothy, who was a young uh, pastor that he was mentoring, that he was teaching. He says in verse 14, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says to Timothy, you know, you've had this history. You have, you've had, you know... He was teaching him, and then, but even earlier than that, people in his family, his mother and his grandmother had faith. 
Again, I, I think that applies to our, our, our Sunday school and young people's ministry too as we bring the scriptures that are able to make you wise for salvation through faith. But look at verse 16. Look what it says there. All scripture is God-breathed. Some versions say inspired. What it literally means is God-breathed, breathed out by God. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. Not everything you and I say is God-breathed. Agreed? But all Scripture is God-breathed. It's inspired by God. It comes from the very heart, the mind, the will of God. This Word that He's given to you and to me. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 2? Let's back a little bit. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. It says here in verse 13, Paul again speaking to the Thessalonians, people where he went. He says, And we also thank God continually because when you receive the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. You accepted this word not because it was just the word of men, but, but, what, but as it actually is the word of God. And that's why we say over and over again, we have got to study God's word, see what God has to say. We got enough of the word of men Turn on the television set, set, read the news. We got enough of the word of men all over the place. Jim brought this out the other night. We were talking about, we were praying Monday night about the word of God. And, and you know, I can say a lot of things, but what really is going to matter is God's word. That's what's going to matter in the end. But I like what it says at the end there. Look at that. It says, which is at work in you who believe that God's Word kind of gets inside of us and works on us. You know what makes a difference in my life after 33 years of, of being a Christian, following after Jesus? It's not, you know, some you know, wisdom of some person I know, some pastor, some friend. What's made the difference in 33 years is God's Word speaking to my heart. What's got me through the trials is uh, you know, reading His Word and where he, he will speak to me through something that He has already said in His Word and it applies to my life today. Now, I, I'm not talking about, you know, you know where, you know, oh, oh, oh yeah, okay, oh. You know, maybe, 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 uh, maybe at the very, very least, you're, you know, you're so freaked out, that's the only thing you know how to do. Okay, do that too. Do something to open this book. But that's not necessarily the best way to do it. I think we just be reading. Just be reading the, the book. In the book. I read this that, that uh, someone said, how much time does it take to read from Genesis to Revelation? Now, I, I think you can do it in one year. And I've done it in one year. I'm, I've kind of slowed down from that. 
But I read in the Old Testament and I read in the New Testament. I have my markers in my Bible and, and uh, sometimes I can't, you know, I must be getting old. Sometimes the next day I can't remember which one I read because I'll read in the New Testament, then the Old Testament, then back and forth. But I can't remember which one did I read yesterday. I don't remember. Where am I? It says, if you would read the Bible at standard pulpit speed, whatever that is, it says, it says the reading time would be 71 hours. If you could break that down into minutes, divide it into 365 days, you could read the entire Bible cover to cover in only 12 minutes a day. Is this really too much time to spend reading about God? 12 minutes a day. Can you? I, I read somewhere about time wasting that, you know, that, uh, that it was, uh, I can't remember the exact, I should have printed it up, the, the exact number of minutes that we spend wasting time on doing foolish things. And it was about people deciding what they're going to wear that day. It was like 22 minutes, <laughs> you know, to what you're going to wear that day. 22 minutes. I'm not going to tell you if that was men or women because there was a slight difference there. <laughs> 22 minutes. You watch one program, 30 minutes. 30 minutes, gone like that. Can, can we spend 12 minutes a day? 12 minutes a day. Is that really too much time to spend? I've talked about this, you know, many, many times. You know, well, what if I don't understand it? Then I stop reading. Well, just keep reading. There's so much that it's, a, it's an eternal book. It's a, uh, you know, it's from the mind and heart of God. How are we going to understand it all? That's why we need to keep reading through years. And now I understand more things than I understood last year, the year before that. But if I had read it one time or just stopped and said, oh, I can't understand this, I'm never going to understand it. This is God's living word, his living and active word. We need God's word. It says in Hebrews chapter 4, it says, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitude, attitudes of the heart. This word of God is alive. It's active. It gets in us. It works in us, in us who believe. So many other verses, I'm running out of time. Let me just quote a few of them before I finish. He says in 1 Peter that you've been born again, not of per perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. You've been born again through the word of God, not through the word of some man, but through the word of God brings us to salvation. Psalm 19 says the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. Paul says in Romans 15, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. It's going to give you hope. How many times have you just not hope? You just, just don't have any hope in the world. Where are you going to find the hope? To the medicine cabinet? To the bottle? To the drugs? To wherever? Entertainment? 
He says, through the endurance, through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Billy Graham said this, and I love this. He says, don't be afraid to invest in the best Bible you can afford, for that is what you are making in investment. Find out for yourself why it answers every human need, why it supplies the faith and strength that keeps humanity marching forward. It's an investment. It's an investment in your future. Not that you have to have the you know, the most expensive Bible on the shelf. His, his point is that this is valuable for every facet of life, every facet of human life. It says in Acts chapter 17, the Bereans, they were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. Why? For they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. If you want to check out what I'm saying today, go home and, find, and read these verses. See if I've misquoted them. Read the scriptures to find out if what I'm saying to you is true. But Jesus said this, and, and, and I'm quoting from John chapter 8. He says, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, I like the King James Version, it says, if you abide in my word, he says, you are really my disciples. And then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. The Word of God. Abiding in the Word of God. I started this by saying that this is the, the, the most important distinctive of who we are. The Word of God. We start to wander off from that. God help us. Let me just finish with a quote, another quote from Ken Ham. <clears throat> he says this. True spiritual growth in a healthy church all start with an individual, with you, accepting the Word of God for what it is, the absolute authority, and treating it accordingly. He says, the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is the living Word of God. The written, uncompromised Word of God in your mind and the presence of the Holy Spirit of Christ in your heart is the pure essence of Christianity. When you gather together a group of people with that, church happens. The Word of God and the Spirit working in us. That's what I want to see. Amen? Amen. 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 Let's pray again together. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your Word and that you've given it to us. And, and, and I want to thank you too for the men and the women who gave their lives throughout history. The martyrs who gave their lives that, that we might have these words in front of us today, that we might freely study, that we might freely read. Father, may, may we acknowledge again that the authority, the ultimate authority of your word in our lives, each one of us, and in our fellowship. God, we thank you for hearing our prayers, for giving to us so much. Father, I pray too, Lord, that, that we would see a harvest of souls, of lost, as we care for the lost. If, if you're searching today, looking for answers, you can find them in Jesus Christ. As you surrender to him and say, Lord, I come. I come before you. You gave your life. You shed your blood upon that cross. You were buried. You rose from the dead for me. You simply pray those words. Give your heart to Jesus this morning. 
Father, I pray you'd bring a, a harvest of souls lost around us as we care. Father, I pray for our young people that you would, that you would help us to raise them up, to seek after them and give them all they need. I pray that you would heal us, Lord. We're injured. We're hurting. And Lord, you'd feed us through your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name.